I've titled my sermon this morning, as you may have seen in the liturgy already, The Troubling and Inconspicuous Reality of Apostasy. And as you can imagine with a title like that, I'm going to spend pretty much the entirety of the whole sermon explaining what that means. So through the lens of this text regarding the apostasy of Judas, we're going to see that not only is Jesus troubled by it, but so are his disciples. Everyone is kind of shocked about what's going on. And as Jesus discloses this reality of apostasy, we're going to quickly realize uh, it's more inconspicuous than we often realize. It's, it doesn't even make sense the way it comes up uh, to these disciples, um, and they're a little bit perplexed by it. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 13, we're going to continue where we left off last week. John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them, church. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we approach such a, a grim text, we pray, Father, that you would Speak to our hearts through it. Lord, let us be open and ready to receive what you have for us this morning. I pray that we would be able to see the light of Jesus illuminating this text, that we would see it through that lens and not through anything else. Lord, I pray that as I speak that you would uh, anoint my words. I pray that if anything uh, that I say is not of you, that it would go in one ear and right out the other, Lord. We pray for your anointing and your illumination upon this text by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. And it was night, John remarks. Now, you've probably noticed as we've been going through John that he often employs a double meaning in his writings. He means more than just what he's saying on the literal surface reading. And when he ends this short paragraph, he isn't just adding another Uh, scientific fact to the narrative. It's not just uh, that. He's speaking deeper than that. There's more going on there. Though it was night, this meaning speaks uh, to a deeper uh, reality than the the absence of just a sun shining around them, right? It's, It's more than that. He's also pointing to a troubling spiritual reality that really frames this whole message, this whole narrative. Judas, after receiving the morsel of bread, From the hand of Christ, Jesus went out, it says, and it was night. You can kind of feel it in the text just as you read it. And it was night because Judas had just left the presence of 
the light of the world. If you think about that, Jesus had just said earlier that I am the light of the world. So he goes out with the intentions of betraying this light, of betraying Jesus. He was ready to distinguish the light by his betrayal. And this troubling darkness, this night that John describes, is the shadow of his apostasy. And that is why Jesus is troubled in his spirit, as it says in verse 21. It's troubling to Jesus. as Even he knows the whole plan and how it's all going to play out. It's still troubling to Jesus and his disciples. But what exactly is apostasy? I've been throwing this word around, and maybe we need to slow down and realize what this word even means. Nowhere in this text do you see the word apostasy, but this word describes this very thing. You may be familiar with this word from other places in Scripture. Apostasy is actually a biblical word. And apostasy refers to the going out or away from an established authority or system. In the context in uh, this day, it was actually before the had the biblical use. It was used to refer from someone kind of revolting or going away from a political system. Okay, So this Greek root, apo, refers to uh, uh, going away from. You can kind of hear it in the word. It's uh, going away from a, a, an established authority. And this is exactly what Judas is doing. Right? If you look at verse 30, this... This is the very thing Judas is doing. He's going away from Jesus. It says he immediately went out. He he went out. But this wasn't a casual going out. It's not just a, a fact in passing. He is going out from something bigger than we even realize, maybe bigger than what Judas realized. This is Judas's final going away from the community of the established system and the authority of Jesus to join the other party. To join with the opposing forces. To ultimately, as we will see, to join Satan. Think about that. He left the presence of the coming king, Jesus, for the prince of the world who was about to fall. Now, Judas didn't know that he was about to fall, but he is about to fall. Okay. So, it's no chance that John uses this language of went out to refer to Judas's. Uh, Judas's apostasy. For in his other letters, John speaks of apostasy. He he has a, a doctrine of apostasy. He says about apostasy in 1 John 2.19, uh, he says this, referring to apostates. He says, they went out, there's that word, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Okay, see the language that he's using there, went out and of us. This is the same with Judas. He went out from them never to return. And the fact that he did not return, the fact that he did not continue with them was a plain indicator that he was not of them, of the same nature is what he's kind of getting at. There's a difference between the heart of Judas and the heart of the other 11 disciples. This is also why Jesus excludes Judas during the foot washing example. Do you remember last week? Jesus makes a point to say, you are clean to the disciples. But not every one of you. Like if you just look up uh, back a couple of verses, he says, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him, it says. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay? So if you're wondering if apostasy means you're losing your salvation, the answer is no. Judas was never clean. He, he was never clean. He was numbered among those who are clean for a temporary time, but he wasn't losing anything that he had. He was just walking away from something that he was not truly a part of. He was not 
of us. He was not of them. Now, consider this alongside Peter's denial. Okay, So this starts to complicate things, doesn't it? When we think about sins and where all this uh, takes place and how it takes place, consider Peter's denial of Jesus. Both of these sins, and they are sins, betrayal and denial, are grievous sins against their Lord and Master. It was awful that both of them did it. And both, in a sense, went out. In a sense. But the difference between the two, the difference between Peter and Judas, is Peter returned and repented. Right? He came back. He didn't continue out. He, he came back. He looked outside of himself for salvation because he realized he couldn't do it. So he came back to Jesus, back to the community for salvation and was restored to them. He was restored to the community. In fact, he became uh, one of the foundational members of the community. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Peter's one of those. Okay, So Peter comes back. Judas, on the other hand, rather than looking outward for salvation, he looks inward. And when he looks inward, he finds self-hatred. And he's overcome with guilt. And what did he eventually do? He hanged himself. Judas committed suicide in his misery. He did not attempt to rejoin the community, but was forever isolated in his sin. He was kind of frozen in that place because he refused to find salvation in the light. He suppressed the light. He betrayed the light. He denied the light. He went away from the light. Now, this is where we see the line drawn between going out from us and showing to not be of us. Okay? So those are two different things, going out from us and not being of us. Simply because a person commits a grievous sin does not mean that he or she has apostatized. Right? That doesn't mean that you've left the faith just because you have sinned. This is why Paul writes that when you see your brother or sister commit a sin, what, we should, what should we do? Restore them in a spirit of gentleness, he says. And then he goes on to say, lest you too be tempted. In other words, this kind of thing could happen to any of us. Sin happens to all of us. And John says in another letter, if anyone says he has no sin, if you're going to say, well, no, I'm a Christian, I don't sin. John says you are a liar. Okay, So we need to be honest with ourselves about this. That The reality is, is sin happens. It's uh, The difference, though, is how we handle it. How we handle the sin once it comes to us. So it's not that every time we sin, we've left the faith. But the question is, though, well, when does apostasy happen? When is it a fact that we have actually left the faith? How does apostasy happen? Well, apostasy happens after an unwillingness to repent and turn away from sin. Okay? A continued unwillingness, that is. Right? We keep saying no over and over again. And that is how we know that we've not only went out from us, as John talks about, but we were also never of us. Okay? If they were of us, they would have been a true believer that has a new nature that's led by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and they would have returned. That's how you would know. And as John said, they would have continued with us, but instead they went out with no return. And this is how you might know that someone is not of us. How you might know that even you are not of us. So then we need to be checking our hearts through all of this, where we are at in this. Okay. So let's evaluate uh, this chapter and how this progression kind of took place in the life of Judas. So let's kind of take a thousand foot view and realize some things. Because some of it, you in here are probably wondering, could this happen to me? Right? As we read this text and we look at Judas, some of you might be thinking, could Satan suddenly enter into me and animate me and my actions to a deadly fate, like even suicide, like Judas? Could this happen to me? And the answer is no, 
not suddenly, but perhaps inconspicuously over time. This is a reality. This is the reality of apostasy. So let's look back for a moment and realize that Judas didn't just enter the scene here, right? This isn't where Judas enters the story. We've been reading through John, and Judas has been here all along, right? He has a history with the disciples. Judas was one of the original 12 disciples. He didn't just tag along along the way. He's been there from the beginning. Jesus chose him, and he even followed Jesus. He's been a part of the community of Jesus for years, Now think about that, the implications of Judas following Jesus for years and even served as the treasurer of the band. It says that he was the one that had the money back. So he he served in office, you might say. He was part of the established community. He he drank the wine that Jesus uh, turned from water. Think about that. He saw it, he drank it, he even tasted it probably. He was at that party. He watched Jesus as he's ministering to people that they come to him and they say, "My, my child's sick. He needs healing. And he followed Jesus and watched Jesus go to these people's kids and healed them. And other people come and, and Jesus healing them, reaching out to all kinds of different uh, people in all kinds of uh, scenarios. He, he witnessed Lazarus coming out of the tomb after he had been there long enough to where he would have stunk. Right? Judas has seen some things. He, he's been there all along. And yet we get little hints of his character along the way, all throughout this in the gospel accounts. They're subtle, but they're there. Remember, Judas is the one who speaks up about the waste when Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Judas has something to say about this. John 12 records him saying this, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He's the treasurer. He's speaking from that position. Why was it not given to the poor? And then John fills in the gaps. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Okay? So the red flags, they were there. The disciples were seeing this, uh, but not to the extent uh, that they didn't realize to the extent what Judas was doing, right? It was deeper than that. No one realized the lie that Judas was living except for Judas and Jesus. Jesus knew all along. It didn't catch him off guard. Now, this is why I draw attention to the inconspicuous nature of apostasy. It doesn't happen out of nowhere, but it certainly does sneak up on us uh, without it being very obvious. It's kind of hidden in a way. Jude speaks about apostasy as a, a slow creep, kind of comes up unnoticed. In Jude 4, he says, For certain people, apostates, have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined, or designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay? This is why the disciples were uncertain who Jesus was talking about when he brought up his betrayal in verse 22. They thought Jesus was telling Judas to, to go care for the poor or something, right? That was his job, right? Judas was the treasurer. They thought, well, maybe Jesus is just telling him to take care of the poor, just to to do his job. And then uh, he says, what you're going to do, do quickly. And they don't know what's happening. They don't even know who is the one that's going to betray him yet. Because Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're looking around saying, is it it me? Am, Am I going to betray my Lord and Master? So apostasy had crept in unnoticed to this uh, band of disciples. But again... It didn't happen suddenly. Notice at the beginning of this chapter in verse 2. I want you to read this with me. Chapter 13, verse 2. Look at this. During supper, 
when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I'm just going to stop there because that's the, the point. The devil put it into the heart already to betray Jesus. So there was already a heart problem that's going on in Judas's mind before we even get to where Satan is going into him. And I want you to realize this is a different event, a different motion than verse 27 when Satan entered into him. These are two different things. What began as a attempting thought, kind of knocking at the door of Judas's heart, later became an open door where Judas let Satan come right in. So those are two different things. Someone knocking at your door and you letting them in are two different things. And this is two different things happening in the heart of Judas. Now, ask yourself, have you ever had a passing thought that you knew was wrong? Right? When you thought about it, you're like... Yeah, that's that's not right. But rather than suppressing it and kind of pushing it out, you expressed it. You you indulged it. You you let that desire take root in the recesses of your heart. You you harbored and nurtured the idea. Now you wouldn't have said it in that moment, but that's really what you were doing. You felt it, you knew it was wrong, and you still kind of went there because you thought, well, it's still up here, right? It's just it's just in my mind. I'm not actually doing anything yet. But then it led somewhere that you did not want it to originally. James puts it this way. James says this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Think of Judas. This is the exact pattern of Judas's life. Judas's repeated patterns led to a heart problem. It was the things that he was doing. Think about this. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We've heard this before, right? It's true. Dipping into the money bag proved to be something that Judas loved, and, to, and he loved to do this. And because of that, that's why Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Because Satan knew Judas had strings attached to money. In his heart. That's where his heart was really at. He was really after the money. He, he, uh, Satan placed that seedling of an idea at the seat of Satan's soul, or at the seat of Judas's soul, and Judas planted that seed. All Satan had to do was say, here it is, because he knew where Judas's heart was really at. And Judas, he took hold of it. He planted it. He nurtured it. And what he did is he sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. That's, that's what he actually ended up doing. Now, scholars have looked at that and said uh, uh, there's probably around a dollar amount, if we're going to bring it up to today's uh, terms and the ways that we speak in dollars. Scholars estimate that that amount of 30 pieces would have been somewhere around $91 to $441, depending on which coin he used, which silver coin it was. Now, think about that. That's all it took. Around 100 bucks, less than $500 was what, uh, uh, what Judas was willing to sell his soul for. So allowing yourself to be controlled by your sin, maybe it's not even money, but whatever it is, it, it might, you might find yourself betraying your Savior for less than 500 bucks. You might be uh, betraying your Savior for one quick moment with someone that you shouldn't be having it with. That kind of thing. It doesn't take much for that, that sin to sit there and you to harbor it and you to make a really, really bad action that you will regret for the rest of your life. And that's why Jesus coolly says in this passage, what you're going to do, do quickly. 
what you're going to do, do quickly. There was no turning back at that point in Judas's life. He was possessed by a darker power than he even realized, and the sin was bigger than him. It wasn't just a small little heart issue anymore. He let it harbor there. He let it sink in, have roots, and he opened the door to Satan where Satan had completely possessed Judas. And he was carrying out the final orders of the old prince of the world who had no idea he was about to be cast out. Satan thought, I'm going to use this Judas to, to, for my victory plan. We're going to betray this Jesus and we're going to have him cast out. He's going to be killed. That's what was on the mind of Satan. And Judas fell for that lie. He walked right into it. You see, when we slow down and really process and analyze Judas's apostasy, it's much less perplexing. It doesn't really shock us that much. It's still deeply troubling, absolutely. Jesus is even troubling, uh, troubled by it when he, he knows it's going to happen all along. But it's not surprising. It's not surprising. This is the troubling and inconspicuous nature of apostasy that I was talking about. So as we close, I want you to ask yourself some heart questions this morning. How does this troubling reality, and it is a reality, it happens. How does this troubling reality affect my faith? As I look at this story, I've shown you that the root of the problem of apostasy starts here. It starts in the heart. It's a heart problem. We love the wrong things. That's our real problem. Our, our hearts are given over to the wrong things. So I want you to engage your heart this morning and ask you, you to evaluate yourself in order to prevent this creeping up of apostasy in your own life. Because that's where the disciples were. Is this going to happen to me? And some of you might be asking yourself this question. So how does the, the word of God here help you realize that like all the disciples, it could be anyone in this room that's about to commit a grievous sin? It really could be. You could be about to betray your Lord and Master that you don't know about, right? Because it's the future. We don't know the future. They genuinely wondered if Jesus was talking about them. And you know what? Peter wasn't that far off, was he? Peter did deny Jesus three times, okay? So the, the fact that we sin is just a fact. It's going to come. The, the determiner of how the, the end is, though, is how will we respond, okay? How are you going to handle your life as a believer in light of this text, Suppose one of you does commit a grievous sin today or this week. Who knows? Suppose you do it, though. How does the fate of Judas teach you about the necessity of repentance and restoration to the body of believers? How do you, how do you think about that in light of what Judas does? Do you really think that isolation after that sin is the best answer? Isolation from the body of Christ? I've sinned, so I just feel bad, and in my guilt, I'm going to stay away for a while until that goes away. Do you think that will work out for you? Think about it. It, <clears throat> it led Judas to suicide. That was the end. It was over. He, he solidified himself in his isolation. So do you think that you can somehow escape the wages of your sin on your own when you shut yourself out from the body, when you shut yourself out from Jesus and just wait for it to kind of just go away so that you can return? It won't, church. The guilt doesn't go away. And as you confess your sins corporately uh, in our liturgy, and as you come to church, maybe you're here every week and you're doing it, but are you really repenting? Are you actually connecting your heart to your words when we have those prescripted things in our liturgy? Are you just going about the motions, or are you really connected to them? As Jesus might say, are you really washed? Are you really clean? Maybe all of you needs washed. Maybe it's not just your feet that needs washed. Maybe you really do need your whole body washed. Think about that. Jesus, or Judas needed a total washing in the blood of Jesus. 
Maybe that's you. I don't know. I don't know where all of you are at in this room. Maybe you're just like Peter. Maybe you just need your feet washed. Maybe you need to come here each and every week. You confess in the liturgy, uh, and that's all you need. Just an ongoing confession because you're right with God. You need to be asking yourself these questions. So church, the warning is that sin is always crouching at your door. Not even Peter was immune. The the person who Jesus tells you, I'm going to build my church on you. He was a big sinner, just like you, just like me. Okay, But the hope and the comfort is that for true believers, we have these promises in Scripture, don't we? For he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion. And if you're in the Father's hand, if you're truly there, then no one's going to snatch you out of there. Satan cannot come and snatch you out of the Father's hand. That is the good news that you have this morning. So if you're here today returning to the body of believers and you're honestly confessing your sins, you can take heart that you are assured of your pardon. When I tell you the assurance of pardon and this is the good news, it really is good news if your heart has been connected to your confession. Satan is not going to suddenly enter you, right? Okay. This doesn't happen suddenly. It creeps up over time. And it's things that you get red flags about in your faith that you see over years, just like Judas did. This didn't happen to Judas suddenly. It crept in unnoticed. It happens after you repeatedly suppress the calling of God and express denial by refusing to return to him. Your heart stays away from him while even your body might be close. That's how it happens. You have not went out from us. Okay, you're here this morning with us. And if you continue with us, you can have hope this morning that because you're with us, you are also of us if your heart is in the right place. That's good news for us this morning, church. I don't mean to scare you by this passage, but as we look at this uh, text with Judas, it's a reality. It happens. So the thing that we need to do is we need to look at this passage and take away something. And that takeaway is where am I at? Am I a Judas? is slowly over time letting things creep up and having all these sins take root in my heart and I'm actually living a lie and then one day something bad might happen? Or am I like the rest of the 11 disciples? who I'm, I am going to mess up. I am going to sin. I might even sin really big, but I'm going to come back because I love Jesus. He is my light and I know that I can't walk in darkness and if I try to, I'm going to end up like Judas. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We need your light. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to anyone in this room, anyone that may be listening to this message in the future. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate their hearts by the love 